Well, amen indeed. What a wonderful time of worship. Thank you, Pastor Jordan and team. Appreciate worshiping together with you all this, this morning. And with those of you online, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to dig into God's word a little bit together today, but that song we just sang really sets up what we're going to talk about today. And that is, there's a lot of things going on in life. A lot of challenges that we face, a lot of, a lot of hard things, right? Do we really build our life, do we really build our life on the foundation of God and Jesus Christ and all that we know about him? Do we, do we believe all the things that we know about God? Do we believe them to the extent that we change the way we live and we live differently knowing who God is? That's my prayer, because you see, today, as I talk to you, as we open the word together, I don't think you're going to hear anything today you haven't heard before. If you've been going to church, unless it's your first time here, ever in a church, you're probably, most of you going to go, yeah, I, I know that, I know that, I know that, you've heard that before. But for some reason, we don't, we don't always live like we know that. So I'm hoping today will be an encouragement to us and a reminder. You see, I got to tell you something, and that is, admit something to you, and that is that I struggle a little bit with anxiety, okay? Uh, it started when I was really, really young. I used to have nightmares at night when I was just a small boy. And I can't even tell you, it was a recurring nightmare, it was always the same thing. And it wasn't a particular event or, or people or anything like that in my dream. It was just this overwhelming feeling of anxiety and fear and panic. And it would, just, it would just take over. And I would wake up crying and my parents would have to come and settle me down. And, and, I, and I never really realized that it was anxiousness until probably in my, I don't know, early 20s or so when... I started to realize there were challenges in life. You know, as a teenager, everything's great. We don't, we don't have any worries as a teenager because we know everything. Um, but as I got older, I realized I couldn't control everything. And I started to face things and I started to get these feelings of anxiousness and these feelings of sometimes panic. And it would wash over me and I went, that's exactly what my nightmares felt like as a child that feeling of anxiety that would wash over me and just make my hair stand up on end. Now, obviously, I, as a believer in Christ, as a, I, I trust God, and I'm, I'm learning, and I've, I've learned over the years to just give that anxiety to God, and, but, but it doesn't just go away. It, it comes back, and I have to keep giving it back to God, and I, I'm learning, but it remains a challenge for me. It remains a challenge. I think it will always be a challenge. Now, maybe anxiety is not an issue for you. I don't know. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you struggle with anxiety. But I know that as we look around the world today, there's lots of reasons to be concerned. There's lots of reasons to be anxious. There's lots of challenges facing us. I mean, just look at the news, right? Whether it's earthquakes in Haiti 
or floods in Germany, or what's going on in Afghanistan right now, or this thing called COVID. You ever heard of, anyone heard of COVID? I mean, COVID has created in, in the entire world a sense of fear and un, uncertainty, and un, we just don't, we don't know what to do, and it can make us very anxious. And churches and Christians are not immune from this anxiety that comes into our lives. I mean, we know, we believe that God is in control, we know God is in control, but it's hard to always live like he's in control, isn't it? As I prepared this message for today, as I read the passage, as I looked at what God teaches us, I, and I realized this is all stuff that I've heard a dozen times before, maybe hundreds of times. I, this is what came to mind, and it's in it's this opening statement on your notes, if you have your notes there. How is it that after some 2,000 years of Christianity, we still find it so hard to live without fear and doubt and uncertainty? Why is it so hard to trust God with our everyday issues as well as our most challenging and distressing circumstances. We know so much about God. We have more Bibles than we've ever had in more translations. We have commentaries and opinions about God coming out our ears. We know so much about God revealed to us through his word and through his Holy Spirit working in us. Yet it is so challenging to live like we really believe what we know is true. My prayer today is that as we, dive in, as we dive into God's word, that we will receive yet another reminder of how to trust God, of how to live like we really believe all that we know about God. So let's open up, open up our Bibles together. We're in 2 Kings chapter 4. We're continuing our series on Elijah and Elisha, daring dudes in dark days and as we read this passage and then as we study it, look at what we learn from it, I trust this will be an encouragement to you today. 2 Kings chapter 4, starting at verse 8. This is what the word of the Lord says. One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her, Elisha asked. Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. 
About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. But the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew. And one day, he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. My head, my head, he said to his father. His father told the servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. It's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he, sat, when he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite, run to her, run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said? Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face. But there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and laid on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out upon him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room, and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that are within your word. Thank you for the way you teach us from your word. And I pray, Lord, today that as we study this story, this account of Elisha and the Shunammite woman, Lord, I pray you would reveal to us your truth and help us to know how to apply that to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This is a narrative, right? This is a story. It's a true story from the Word of God. This actually happened. But it's not the same as some of the teaching in the Bible, right? The Sermon on the Mount and the letters from the Apostle Paul where they contain direct instruction. Narratives 
don't teach us with direct instruction, but they do it by example. So as we examine the words and the actions of the characters in the story, we can draw certain principles from what we learn about them. So what can you learn about this narrative, this story? What do we learn, first of all, about the Shunammite woman? We don't know much about her. We don't even know her name. We just know she lived in Shunem. She was married. She was well-to-do, it says. But as we look at her actions, we look at how she behaves and what she says and what she does, we learn several things. The first thing we learn is that she is invested. She is invested in the ministry of others. You see that, right? She was a faithful supporter of Elisha. She recognized his calling. She recognized that he was a man of God, a holy man of God. And so she invested in his ministry. She fed him when he came to town. She eventually built a room or had a room built for him on the roof of the house so they had a place to stay. She was well-to-do. She had the money to do that for him. And so she used her resources to invest in the man of God and to invest in ministry on this earth. So it raises a question for us today. Are you invested? Are you invested in the ministry of others? Our global partners. We pray for them every Sunday. We mention one or two every Sunday, right? You know who they are. A lot of them you, a lot of them you know by name. You know them in person. Do you invest in them? Do you invest in your pastors, in the ministries of this church, the various areas of ministry? Do you invest in local ministry as you look around our community and the various ministries that are out there doing good things for the Lord? Do you invest your resources in their ministries? And I'm not just talking about finances. I mean, it's, a lot of these ministries need financial support, and that's a good thing to do if God has blessed you that way. But there's other ways you can invest in ministry. You can invest your time. And I know many of you do. You serve in various ministries within the church. You volunteer at other organizations that are doing good work for God in our community. You invest your time. Many of you are prayer warriors. You can invest in God's ministry on this earth by praying, by spending time every day praying for our global partners, praying for your pastors. We need your prayers. Praying for the various ministries that God brings your way. Many of you have the gift of hospitality and you open up your homes to missionaries when they're visiting us, when they're back home, or to others. Do you go out of your way to invest your resources in ministry on this earth? That's the application of the Shunammite's life. You need to invest your resources into the ministries God puts in your path. God put Elisha in the path of the Shunammite woman and she responded with hospitality. Who has God put in your path? And are you investing in their ministry? The second thing we learn about the Shunammite woman is she is content. She's content with her circumstances. When Elisha tries to repay her for all she has done for him, she says, 
something that might seem odd to us. I have a home among my own people. What she's saying is, I'm good. My tribe, my people will look after me. I have everything I need. She's content. Now, we know she doesn't have everything she needs, right? We've read, we read the whole story with me. We know she has needs, and she probably had other needs, but she was content with what God had given her at that point in her life. She was content. Obviously, the question for us is, are you content? Are you content in spite of your need? In spite of the things that you look at and say, well, hey, this could be better or that could be, I could use this, I could. Are you content with what God has given you right now? Have you learned to be content? The Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, chapter 4, verses 11 to 13 says this, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Are you content today? Be content in your circumstances. Knowing, not, not just an empty contented, It's knowing that God is in control. God has given you what you have. God has orchestrated your circumstances today. Be content with what God has given you right now. The third thing we learn about the Shunammite woman, though, is that she has deep need. In fact, her need is so deep, she dared not even express it for fear of getting her hopes up. Right? She didn't tell Elisha that she had no son. I mean, that, that may not seem like such a big deal to us. But in those days, no son and an older husband, this is a challenge. Because, you see, the son would inherit everything that the husband had, that his father had. And because her husband was old, it says... There was a good chance her husband was going to die before she did. So she would be left a widow and no son to look after her in her old age. There's a deep, unmet need in the Shunammite woman. What is your deep need today? We all have them. We all have those things in our life that go so deep you don't even want to talk about it. You don't want to think about it because it scares you. Or it seems like such an impossible, insurmountable need that there's nothing that can fix it. First of all, I want you to know that you're normal. It's natural to have those deep needs. We all have them. And it's okay that they go deep down inside of us and we're afraid to even talk about them. But you need to know this. God knows your deep need. Right? God is all-knowing. That deep, unmet need that's way down deep inside, you don't even want to think about it or talk about it. God knows. 
God knows about it, even if you've never cried out to him about it. He knows your heart, he knows your mind. So while it's normal and natural to have those deep needs, remember, remember that God knows your deep, unmet needs. Two more things we learn about the Shunammite woman. The first is probably the most obvious. Might have been the first thing you thought about as we, as we read this story together. She has faith. She has a single-minded, focus solely on God faith. Did you see that in the story? When, when her son dies, when she's in this, probably the most distressing time of her entire life, her son has just died. She seeks only God. She won't even talk to anyone about it except Elisha, the man of God, the spokesman for God. Right? Look at, I mean, look at the text, right? She doesn't even tell her husband. She takes their son he, and hides him in Elisha's room so that no one will know he's dead. She doesn't go to her husband for comfort or for a solution to this problem. She doesn't, she doesn't trust her resources she doesn't use her money. She's well-to-do, right? She could have gone out and hired the best doctors and stuff to come and minister to her son or maybe her servants. But no, she doesn't rely on any of that. She will only talk to Elisha, only go to God. In fact, she doesn't even tell Gehazi, who is Elisha's servant. When, remember when Elisha when, sends Gehazi out to meet her? And he asks her, what's wrong? Like, is everything okay? She says, everything's all right. She will only talk to Elisha about this because her faith, her trust is fully fixed on God. In fact, when Elisha says, Gehazi, take my staff, run and lay it on the boy's face, she could have gone, okay, we're good now and gone. But no, she insists that Elisha return with her because she will have no one but God solve her problems. She models a total single-minded dependence on God. And it begs the question, is your faith in God alone? Do you take your distress, your challenges, your everything that comes your way, do you take it to God first? Or do you try all those other things first? And if that doesn't work, well then we'll, we'll try God. Is God your go-to? Do you have a, a laser-focused, single-minded trust in God to deal with your problems, your challenges, your distress? Or are you always looking for somewhere else to help? Right? If I just had a little bit or a lot more money that would take care of all my problems, right? Money is the solution. Or, or maybe if I could just get that promotion at work or get that job that I, I've applied for, then everything would be okay. That would solve my problems. Maybe it's deeper than that. Maybe if I just had a family, maybe you're, you're not married yet, if you could find a, a wife or a husband and... That would, that, would, that would solve everything, right? 
Or, or maybe you're married and you're like, oh, marriage isn't going so well. If we could, we just had kids. That would fix everything, right? That would draw our family together and get us closer. Let's have, let's have a bigger family. Or maybe if I could just get another degree, right? One more, one more master's degree or, or maybe a doctorate and that, then I would be set for life. It would take care of all my problems. Or I just need more friends or better friends. Uh, that, would, that would fix everything, right? Because my friends would just rally around me all the time and take care of me. Now, don't get me wrong. None of those things I mentioned are necessarily bad. God can use all of them to minister to you. But the question is, ultimately, where is your trust? Is it in the things God gives you? The money, the position, the family, the friends, the job, or is it in God? Where is your trust? Because God will give you things, and he'll use them in your life. But do we recognize that they come from God and keep our trust in God? Keep your faith in God. That's the application here. Keep your faith in God. He alone, solely God alone, is the solution to your challenges and your distress. The final thing we learn about the Shunammite woman is that she worships. See what she does at the end? Elisha restores her son's life and says, take him and go. She could have taken him and went. But first, she fell at Elisha's feet. She acknowledged God's gift of her son's restored life. She acknowledged that it came from God. She worships God. She gives thanks to God first for this blessing in her life. Who do you worship? Who do you thank when things go well? What's the first thought that comes to your mind when you get that bonus at work? Thank you, boss. Or thank you, God. It's okay to thank your boss. And it's probably, it's probably wise to thank your boss. But your first thought, our first thought, should be thank you, God. For my job, for that promotion, for that family, for my wife, for my children. Where is your worship? Do you recognize and acknowledge that everything you have was given to you by God. You see, we tend to think we earned it. I earned that promotion. I earned that bonus. I wooed that woman and now she's my wife. I win. It's easy to think we're entitled to what we have and that somehow it's ours. It's easy to forget, easy to forget the words of James 1.17. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. It doesn't say some good and perfect gifts are the ones you didn't really deserve or the ones you didn't work for. No, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. So the application we need to apply to our lives here is worship 
appropriately. Stop worshiping the things that God has given us and recognize and acknowledge that all that you have is from God. Every little bit of it. So we learn a lot about the Shunammite woman and a lot of things we can apply to our own lives. But there's more in this passage which raises the question, what can we learn about God? What can we learn about God from this passage? Well, first of all, he's caring. He cares. He cares about individuals as well as national issues. Remember a couple weeks ago, Pastor Calvin was up here preaching about Elisha? And what was Elisha doing? He was talking to three kings and he was dealing with their armies and the fact they didn't have any water. And th these are huge national issues. Wars and battles and all this stuff going on that would shape a nation and change the course of history for that nation. And yet in the midst of all that, we saw this last week in Pastor Nick's sermon and we see it today. Elisha takes the time God's man takes the time to minister to one woman and her family. God cares about individuals as well as the big national issues. So don't ever think that your issues or your needs or your distress or your challenges are unimportant to God or that they don't matter. I know I've thought this, maybe you've thought this too. I think, well, that's that thing that I need help with. It's just, it's just a little thing. God doesn't have time for that. You know, God's got a lot on his plate. I don't want to burden him with something else. He's God. We can't overburden God with stuff. He, he's not limited by by energy or time or, or resources, he can handle all of it because he is omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present God. He's not constrained by human restrictions. And here's the thing, he cares about every individual on the face of the earth. All of you in this room, all of you watching online, God cares about you. Not only does he care about you, he cares about every issue you face, big and small. Nothing's too big for God, nothing's too small for God. So the application here is you need to live, you need to live in the knowledge that God cares about you. You don't just need to know that he cares about you, you need to live like he cares about you. In fact, say it with me, God cares about me. Say it. God cares about me. That is an amazing truth. Live like you believe it. The second thing we learn about God is that he is provider. God provides because he knows and meets even the deepest unspoken needs we have. God will provide everything you need. He'll, he'll even give you things you don't know you need yet. I mean, those of you that are a little older like me, you could probably look back on your life and look at 
the things God gave you over the years and you go, I never knew why I had that part-time job in high school, but I learned something there that is coming in really handy today. You ever, you ever notice that about your life? God gives you things that you don't even know you need yet because he knows your heart, he knows your deepest unmet needs and he will provide. The application is, of course, we need to live in the knowledge that God is your provider. It's not enough to know that he provides. We need to live like we know he provides. He has provided, he's providing right now and he will provide in the future. That's the hard one, right? We like to worry about the future. God will provide. He is provider. The third thing we learn is that he is sovereign. God is sovereign. What he does and how he does it, how he works, is always right and good because he's sovereign. The challenge there is sometimes God works in different ways. Even in our own life, he worked, he worked one way one time and then the next time he does it different. Or he works one way in someone else's life and then he works differently in my life. And that's a challenge for us because we don't understand. See, we need to understand, if you look at the story, God didn't work through the staff. Right? Elisha sent Gehazi with the staff and said, lay it on the boy's face and nothing happened. Why not? I mean, Moses did great things with his staff. Right? He brought water out of a rock. He, he parted the, the sea. They walked across on dry land. The staff was a symbol of God's power. Why didn't the staff work for Elisha? It didn't. And, and God didn't work through Gehazi, the servant. Maybe, maybe that's what it was. Why, why didn't God, God work through Gehazi? I don't know. It, in fact, he didn't, even, he didn't even work for Elijah, uh, for Elisha, the way he worked for Elijah. Right? We think the, 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 the story you know, where he gets on top of the boy and lays down on him, that's kind of weird and creepy, isn't it? Uh, every time I read that, I go, ugh. But, but Elijah did the same thing, right? You remember back in our series? Elijah did something very similar to raise another young boy to life, to heal another young boy. And so Elisha, Elisha might have just been imitating his mentor, Elijah. And yet the first time he does it, after he prays, he, he lays on him and nothing, well, he gets a little bit warm, but it didn't work. So he does it again, and then he's raised. God worked differently. Why? Well, I think one of the reasons is this. God wants us to remember that the power isn't in the staff. The power isn't in the person, and the power isn't in the action that the person takes. The power is all God's. And, and if it was always in the staff, we'd start to rely on the staff, and we'd think, hey, as long as I got this staff... I'm good to go. And then we forget that it was God. 
So I think God works differently at different times and in different ways to remind us that it's all him. Right? Even if you look at when, when uh, the Shumanite woman gets, finally gets to Elisha, what does Elisha say? Do you notice what he says? He says, leave her alone, don't push her away. But then he says, she's in great distress, but God hasn't shown me what it is yet. Even Elisha, the great man of God, doesn't know anything unless God tells him. Totally reliant upon God because that is the source of power. The power to give life in this situation is in God alone. So we need to remember and apply this to our lives. Resist the temptation to doubt God when he doesn't do what he did last time or what he did in someone else. Because we're tempted, right? We look at, last time I, I was a little short on my bills and I prayed and that envelope showed up in my mail. I don't even know who it was from, but it had money in it. And what a blessing that was. I was able to pay my bill. And now this time, God, I was a little short and I prayed. There's no envelope in the mailbox. And we start to doubt. Maybe God isn't working in us. But he is. He's just going to work differently this time. Because that's what he does. He's God. Or maybe you're praying for a loved one who's sick. And God doesn't heal them. But he heals other people. Why does God heal other people but he doesn't heal my loved one? And we start to doubt God. Resist the temptation to doubt God. You have to. He will not always do what he did for someone else or what he did before. Accept the fact that he will work in your life, your individual life in the way that is best and good for you. Because God knows, because he's sovereign. He knows what's best for you. He knows what needs need to be met and which ones can be left unmet. God knows. The second thing about his sovereignty is we need to live in the knowledge that in his sovereignty, sometimes he gives and sometimes he takes away. He gave the Shunammite woman a son. But then he took away her son. Why did he do that? Especially if he was just going to restore him to life. I mean, why put her through that pain? I don't know. But God gives and he takes away, but then he gives again. He gives her son back to her. Sometimes God gives and takes away. The words of Job, chapter 1, verse 21, those famous words. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. You see, it's easy to praise God and to trust him when he's giving us stuff. I got a raise. Praise the Lord. I got a new job. Praise the Lord. We got a new baby in our family. Praise the Lord. It's good to praise the Lord when he gives us good things, but do you praise the Lord when he takes things away? Do we praise the Lord when he takes away the life of a loved one in our lives? 
when he takes away that job or that promotion or that position or that relationship that you love so much. The only way to continue to praise God, whether he's giving or taking, is to trust the sovereignty of God. Trust the sovereignty of God. And don't just know he's sovereign. You have to live like you trust his sovereignty. You have to live knowing he is sovereign and he knows what's best for you, for me. The final and probably most important thing we learn about God in this passage is he is life giver. Now, I know grammatically that's probably incorrect. But I wanted to be as simple as possible. God is life giver. He's not one of many life givers. He's not a life giver. I hesitate to even say he's the life giver. He is just life. That is who God is. God gives life. It's, it's apparent. That that's the whole story, right? He, he gives the Shunammite woman the son she needs as a baby, and he restores her son's life. That's the miracles. Two miracles in the story. A, a, a son in her well, her husband is old and probably shouldn't have been able to give her a son. And then a restored son after his untimely death. God is a life giver. Here's the thing. God gave you life. You are here today or watching online today, every single one of you, because God gave you life. There's no other explanation for it. We didn't give ourselves life. Um, I, don't, I don't know of any scientist yet who has managed to collect a whole bunch of cells and molecules and, and somehow make them come alive. Only God gives life. God gave you life. But there's, there's more than that. Not only, does, not only does God give us physical human life in this world, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, a Christ follower, then God has given you new life in Christ. He gave you life on this earth, but he also has given you new life in Christ. But it doesn't end there. Right? You know where I'm going with this. One of these days, we're all going to die. Every single one of us is going to die one day, unless the Lord returns first. And whether we die or the Lord returns, the next thing for the believer is eternal life. We have physical life. We have a new life in Christ. And now, one day, we will have eternal life. Because as believers who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we know that we will have eternal life with Jesus in heaven. Because God is the life giver. We need to remember that as we go through this life. The ups and downs and the, the good and the bad and the joys and the sorrows. We need to remember that ultimately God gives us eternal life with him in glory if we're followers of Christ. 
We've been bought for and paid for by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, saved from an eternity in hell if we believe on the name of Jesus. If you were here for the first song today, you know that you are bound for glory. One of these days, all this stuff that we're anxious about, all the stuff we're concerned about, our, our deepest unmet needs, everything will be, well, I don't, think it'll, I don't know if it'll be forgotten, but it will seem a distant memory as we spend eternity with Christ. See, our life on this earth is about this long. I can't squeeze my fingers together tight enough to show the relationship between our life on earth and eternity. If we can keep our eyes fixed on eternity and live in the knowledge that God gives us that eternal life, it changes our perspective on this life, doesn't it? But we have to not just know that we have eternal life, we have to live like you really believe you will spend eternity with Jesus. I read something on, I think it was on Facebook or somewhere, um, in relation to what's going on in Afghanistan right now, and we know things are, are terrible there right now. But I read something that, maybe you saw it, that kind of broke my heart, but it also warmed my heart at the same time. I can't quote it verbatim because I didn't write it down, but it, it said essentially, there are Christians in Afghanistan right now that believe they're going to see Jesus face to face in the coming weeks. Really soon, they're going to see Jesus face to face. They believe that they're going to be killed for their faith. But their focus isn't on, oh my goodness, we're all going to be killed. Their focus is on, we're going to be with Jesus. Do we live like that today? Do we live our lives knowing that no matter what happens, no matter how crazy things get, no matter how bad it gets here, one day it's all going to be okay because we're going to be with Jesus. Live like you really believe you will spend eternity with Jesus. And if you don't have that assurance today, if this sounds foreign to you or if you've never received the gift of salvation from God, then please take care of that today. Please talk to somebody that you trust. Talk to me after the service. I'll be at the front. If you're online, find someone who knows the Lord and talk to them and make sure you are right with God and you have that hope of eternal life. See, it's not enough to just know this stuff. Can you imagine what our lives would be like, what our church would be like, what our community our nation would be like if every one of us kept our eyes fixed on God in every single circumstance. Investing our resources in ministry, content in our circumstances, knowing God has given us all that we have and exactly what we have and what we need. Trusting that God knows all of our deepest, inmost, inner, innermost needs. With our faith firmly fixed on God alone, Worshiping and acknowledging God as the provider of all, all things. 
living in the knowledge that God cares for us and provides for us and is sovereign over every circumstance and that he gives us life, eternal life. Can you imagine if we lived like that? Every single one of us? What a different place this would be. What a different life this would be. We need to act like these things are true because they are true. But it's not enough to believe they're true. We have to act on them. Every decision, every action, every thought that crosses your mind, every word, every deed, we need to know and then live according to the truth that regardless of what God gives and takes away and then gives, regardless of any of that, ultimately God is the giver of eternal life. And that makes all the difference. One day, none of this will matter. And we'll be with Jesus. But for now, let's live like we believe that to be true. Amen? Now let's pray together. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the encouragement it is to us in, in the midst of our, our, our concerns and our challenges and our anxiety and our, our worries. Lord, help us to keep our eyes firmly fixed on you. Lord, help us to remember that you care for us, that you, are, that you provide for us, that you are sovereign over us in every circumstance we find ourselves in and that you give us life and life eternal. Lord God, I pray for everyone here today, everyone online who's listening. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in their lives, that you would change their lives as they adjust the way they live, the way they think about the world in light of who you are. And Lord, I pray you would continue to remind us of who you are, remind us of all the attributes of God so that we would be encouraged to keep our faith and our trust solely focused on you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for the way you care for us and minister to us and provide for us. And Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus, and the gift of eternal life through him. Thank you for our time together today, Lord, and I pray that you would go with us as we go our separate ways and help us to remember what we've learned today and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.